Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast extension of show 543. Our guest today is Dr. Jonathan Schulz, Assistant Professor in the Department of Economics at George Mason University, and we're talking about the church, intensive kinship, and global psychological variation. Our history buffs today are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. Ed, start us off this time. Thanks, Jay. Jonathan, there was a book came out several years ago written by a fellow named J.D. Vance, who grew up in Appalachia, um, served in the military, but found his way to Ohio State, and then I think to Stanford Law. But when you talked about areas that uh, are less successful because of intensive kind of clan clanish relationships, the first place I thought of in this country was Appalachia. Um, and if you've read that book, um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, uh, I, I think that's uh, that, that's a, a characterization that probably um, makes sense. So in in our it's our newest project where we use surnames, and with the surnames we look at how diverse a county is, and and this tells us. And we show that in this paper, it also tells us about the strength of family ties in this county. So if you have, let's say, a county where lots of Schultz live, um, so a high fraction of Schultz, that implies that um, people either are from a similar family background or at least from a similar cultural background because it, you know, it, it links to the country of origin. And and uh, very similar dynamics will be then at play um, for for one, it, it you know if if you you could think of if you leave your house and you randomly bump into someone else, it's very likely that this is a person similar to you. But it, what it also implies, if you think about innovation as a form of recombination of existing knowledge, then if you're in a in a county where people are very similar to yourself, it's, it's less likely that you have innovation. It's and also. Um, more generally, you don't get new input in, into your brain of, of things, so so you might you know you might develop a psychology that is more looking at the in group, and and all this then would lead to lower economic development. Okay, Rick, Jonathan, you, know, you were talking uh, uh, about the individualism versus the collectivism. Uh, people trying to find their own tribe. I was wondering, did your research at all touch on the impact of social media where we can find like-minded people uh, anywhere on the planet? Uh, Is this exacerbating some of these divisions, the consequences of these divisions? Yeah, that's a a super interesting question. And um, I've been thinking about this quite a bit so much what I was sketching about the Catholic Church or about Appalachia it's all uh, in, in a theoretical sense it's about lowering the cost of interacting with people that are different from you and um, what we find in much of this research is that if you lower the cost there's benefits and one benefit is well if you bump into people that are different from you 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 might get more innovation because of the flow of information and, and so on. And now you could say, well, if this is the case, then with social media, 
um, this lowers the costs of uh, interacting with people even more. And that should also create more innovation and and uh, and have lots of have at least this as a positive effect. But at the same time, I, I wonder whether there's there's a optimal point, and if you lower the cost of info interaction with others even more, that it be, might become detrimental. And the simple reason is, um, once the cost of association becomes so low, then you might just want to hang out people that are similar to yourself so you lose this advantage of learning from others and I'm, I'm often thinking just here in the past you would hang out with your neighbor and, and drink a beer and he might have a very different uh, worldview he might be a uh, republican and uh, the other neighbor is a democrat so people would still see uh, commonalities but now and and exchange ideas but now with the onset of the uh, social media you don't really have to hang out with your neighbor anymore. So you can just hang out uh, with people on the internet who have a very similar worldview. So in this sense, then the low cost of interaction through social media might be even detrimental for this exchange of ideas. Jonathan, this might be some speculation, although maybe it's on the fringes of the research that you're doing, but I, I just recently came back from two weeks in Italy. Um, where I was in obviously high tourist areas and was amazed, first of all, by the number of people who spoke English, which was very nice because I didn't speak Italian, um, but also uh, how interested the the people that I interacted, the, the people just walking around that I interacted with, how interested they were in interacting with me and having those conversation and exchanging ideas. And they were really kind of open to any conversation and wanted to have interesting conversations about politics or whatever it was. Um, and I'm contrasting that with the way, at least in the United States at the moment, we tend to think about immigrants where we don't want anything to do with them. And, and, you know, we are not interested in, in those. And we kind of, you know, have this antagonistic, has so i guess my speculation is i love your phrase that the cost of of um of interaction i I just think i hadn't thought of it in quite that terms but does it help to have a, a more touristy or international type uh community in terms of lowering that cost and making it easier to exchange ideas oh yeah i i, I could certainly think though and Especially also if, you know, if, uh, there's also economic incentives if you're very, um, uh, if you're in a touristy area to, to be nice to tourists. But as a side effect, you, you learn about different cultures and, and you, um, you probably get rid of many stereotypes or, or learn about, um, you know, other, others' cultures and behavior and, and learn how to relate to that. So, so definitely I would think that is true. I'm actually surprised that you're, you're saying that many people spoke English. That that's really great to hear because I I remember probably 30 years ago or so um, there weren't so many people in Italy that that I I remember were speaking English. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I was actually I was surprised. I expected the language to be more of a barrier than than it turned out to. I'm just I'm also thinking about the American turn in the last decade or so toward isolationism and how that may ultimately make matters worse because we're less interested in interacting with other cultures and we see other cultures more um, 
as more of a of a threat or or whatever. And I was wondering in your research if that played out in other cultures. Do you see that same kind of thing over time in Chinese culture or sub-Saharan Africa culture or or whatever? Is this a, a historical kind of trend rather than something that's just kind of we're dealing with now? Oh, I, I would be out. I'm I'm out of my depth there. Depth okay. There, so I'm I'm not. <laughs> um, Sorry, we we do that often. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm just thinking. I, I mean, for me, it's in a very abstract sense. Cultures for me are developed and are often um, a toolkit or a knowledge to deal with a specific um, challenge that a culture was facing. And of course, then if you interact with people from different cultures, there's a huge opportunity to learn from each other. Um, but at the same time, I, I guess you also want to have a somewhat um, cohesive society and, and you want uh, to have measures to, that um, pushes a society towards um, yeah, being cohesive and speaking a common language and, and so on. Okay. Ed? Yes. Um, Jonathan? Uh, the Scandinavian countries uh, appear from over here uh, to me that they've kind of struck a balance between individualism and um, collectivism with, I guess, what would be politically characterized as social democracy. Um, how do you explain that? Oh, so often when, when I talk about collectivism and individualism, um, the, the assumption is that if you have uh, a collectivist society, they're more willing to spend resources for for uh, the, the greater country or nation, and while individualists not not so much. But that's actually not what you see often in in in, in the data. So it's more individualistic people are more willing to uh, to give and be altruistic to people that they don't know, and so they're they're more willing. Not just to give uh, people in their in their nation, so they they would be probably a bit favorable to um, a welfare state, but they also uh, donate m more to causes uh, outside of, of their nation. So the um, they have a, in, in a sense the, the morality is more generalized. So um, it, it it doesn't drop off as as fast towards people that that you don't know, and in collectivistic society often. Uh, altruism is more focused to people within the in-group, meaning friends and, and family. So so this is very consistent. Yeah, and Ed, I'm just going to mention, we've had on this show Anu Partinen, who wrote a book called The Nordic Theory of Everything, and was talking about their particular version of um, social democracy and, and that. And her argument was, that at least for Finns, because that's who she was talking about specifically, um, they created the the very broad social safety net they had because they wanted independence. They wanted freedom. That was their argument, was that if you took away these economic barriers, then people could be more free. And it seems to me, Jonathan, that that kind of matches up with what you just said. Oh yes, I mean if if yeah, and and it, it I mean here is a, so a welfare can also spur innovation, right? If you have uh, if you don't have to worry so much about um, hitting an adverse event because there's uh, social security, then you you can 
take more risks and this also might spur entrepreneurship. I mean, the other thing about the Scandinavian countries are and uh, that they are quite homogenous and meaning maybe there's also um, somewhat more, more higher willingness to give and other research shows that if societies are more heterogeneous, particularly when it comes to different ethnicities, then people are less willing to, um, yeah, to have a large welfare state or to, to spend resources on public goods. Um, so, so this is, I guess, also going back to the psychology of people that yeah, um, giving to people different or perceived to be different than oneself um, yeah, people don't like to do that so much. Okay. Rick, you get the last question. Boy, I'll try to make it quick. Um, Jonathan, uh, we're talking about uh, the uh, uh, common uh, cultural variables. I'm, I'm looking at Russia and Ukraine. Russia has been the, the odd man out, doesn't know if they're Asian or uh, European, so they're trying to exert their uniqueness. And at the same time, you've got the Middle East, where Israel and the Palestinians and all the other countries, and they're all roughly the same tribe. Uh, they should have common values, but there seems to be no, there's no uh, common position where they can find peace. Uh, is this just an aberrant something that we've created since World War II? Well, so, I mean, conflict doesn't need to rest in, in cultural differences. And I looked at Ukraine and, and Russia. Um, and indeed, if you look at many of the measures based, uh, let's say, on a survey like the World Value Survey, you see that um, culturally, at least, uh, Russia and Ukraine are not so far apart. But then uh, I think um, humans are... Yeah, we're, I mean, there's all the, the experiments on the minimal group effect. You know, you, these are experiments where you tell random people that never met, you're now group A and you're group B, and they start um, being nicer to group A. These are random people meeting for the first time than to the group B. So it seems that humans are quite... So, um, they're quite uh, quick in associating with specific groups and uh, and willing to fight other groups, and this can be on yeah on based on minimal uh, differences or perceived differences. I mean, Ukraine and Russia have, speak different languages. Um, Israel and Palestine have um, uh, different languages, different religion, and. I think also with Israel and Palestine, it's a very, it's, they are very different societies with very different um, backgrounds. And in Israel, it's a democratic country with very Western values, while Palestine, um, Palestine's values are very much anchored in family, and you have very high kinship intensity. All right. We would like to thank our guests for this 543rd show, Dr. Jonathan Schulz, Assistant Professor in the Department of Economics at George Mason University. We've been talking about the church, intensive kinship, and global psychological variation. 
Our history bus for today were Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web at TuneIn.com. If you're looking for older programs, you can find them at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at Station KALA, St. Ambrose University.